0: John chapter 1, John chapter 1, and while we're turning there, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that we can set aside for you, and we pray that you would open the scriptures to us, we pray that we would see it as you wrote it, that we would learn the things that you would have for us, the eyes of our understanding would be open, and I pray, Lord, that you would hide me behind that old rugged cross and that your words would be spoken here in Jesus' name, amen. We are going to uh, go through, uh, hopefully, quite a few examples of pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus, and let's define some terms. Incarnate, incarnate is just the really comes from the Bible. It describes the one and only scenario of Jesus, the Son of God disrobing, almost zipping out of his, the glory that he had with the Father and becoming like one of us. Becoming man, as Galatians says, that he was born of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. And just because he appeared to humanity after he was born of Mary, that doesn't mean that he never existed before that. And that's something we pretty much take for granted. But in some circles, it's not. There is something that is definitely lost if we only look at Jesus in our minds as starting at A.D. 1, when Mary was in Bethlehem after riding the donkey, going there to be taxed by the Romans. That's when Jesus first put on human flesh. But it's important to know that he existed Eternally before that. Why is that important? Because the God that we read about in the Old Testament is not a different God than what is seen starting with the Gospels. Now, John chapter 1, verse 1, it starts out almost like the beginning, well, exactly like the, the beginning of the Bible in Genesis. It says, in the beginning. And don't make the mistake of thinking that this is now a New Testament beginning. It's not. This is the same idea, it's talking about the same date, the same time, if we can use those words, of Genesis 1 1. In that very, very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This language, the entire chapter of John chapter 1, is wonderful language because it paints this picture of and it describes Jesus as the Word. God's spoken word. And that's pretty remarkable. You think the thing you have in your lap. We don't say that in our common vernacular, we don't say I have Jesus in my lap or on that table. It's the Bible. It's the written word of God. And yet through the eyes of God, the way he talks about it, what does he think of the written word? It's the same thing as his son. His son became the embodiment of it. So what the the, the the feet in the sandals walking on the shores of Galilee, through the hills of Judea, in 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 the frame of Jesus, that is the word of God. And th- this language leads us to think that way. The same was in the beginning with God. And that's so important because in, in I'm thankful that that we pretty much we take this for granted. But that is a huge idea. If we Talk about Jesus as he was just, he was a great teacher. He might, he was a rabbi. And he was called those names in the Bible by some people. But if that's how we define him, if that encapsulates everything, he was just, he was a good teacher. People, I had some great teachers when I was in high school and a couple in college. They're not on the same level as what this Bible is describing as the Son of God. To think of Jesus as a teacher, see, teachers come and go. They end up dying natural deaths and they stay in the grave until Judgment Day. That's not Jesus. He did teach things. He taught wonderful things. But we don't think of him as he was, quote, a teacher or even our teacher. He taught. But he was, as these verses say, in the very beginning there was God. God spoke words in in Genesis. That's how Genesis starts out. And what this is telling us is that those words that were being spoke that was a creative force to create planetary systems, to create trees, grass, oceans, fish, everything, that tells us here that nothing, in verse 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. We're going to be looking in the Old Testament and a lot of times it's translated, the angel of God. And we're going to there's a, obviously a, a definite distinction, clearly, between Jesus and the angels. According to verse 3 there, how were the angels created? Through Jesus, by his creative power. See, the angels are created beings. Now, you and I, in the sense, God started mankind with Adam and Eve, but our parents, in effect, they got together and were the result of that, if you want to define that as creation. Adam and Eve were created beings and through them came all of us. And the angels were created. Jesus was not. He was just like the Father. In the beginning, this Word existed. The same was in the beginning. And then it goes on to tell us that even everything that was created was created through Him. Skip down to verse 14, which is a wonderful verse in its language. It says, "...the Word was made flesh." Think what's all captured in those phrases. The Word of God was made flesh. And that's what Jesus became. You know, he, he talked to some of the Jewish people and he told them once that I don't do anything that I don't hear of my Father. I don't say anything I don't hear Him say. I do only those things that please Him. See, God and His Word, they're identical. And that's why God never breaks His Word. When He made a promise to Abraham if he made a promise to David, you know why he keeps those things even four and five thousand years later? Because his word is inseparable from himself. His character is attached, is defined by the word that he gave mankind. He even did that with Noah. I'll never flood the earth again. i give you this rainbow. That's my sign. One reason we don't pollute that sign of the rainbow. We don't use it for other things. But when God gives his word to mankind, he is defined by that. And he loves when people believe him. He swore by himself, the Bible says. Let's finish reading verse 14. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word was made flesh. So at this point, When Jesus is born of Mary, it starts to describe him, the Bible starts to describe him as God's word that just put on bone, muscle, sinew, blood, flesh, and it walked among us. But before that, before that, Jesus was not just alive and well, not just eternal, he was also in this Bible all over. We looked at that in one example, a great example Several last time I subbed. Uh, let's let's go look at that. John chapter eight. John chapter eight, a very long chapter and a long argument that Jesus has with the Jewish leaders. In John chapter eight, when you get down to verse fifty uh, four ish, Jesus is starting to play kind of his trump card with them to tell them just who he is, and. Look at verse 56. He tells the Jewish leaders, Your father Abraham, and Abraham is their guy. That's their identity. They think as long as we're children of Abraham, that's all we need. Jesus says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He did see it. He saw it and was glad. That threw him for a loop. How, How in the world can you, being not yet 50 years old, say that Abraham has seen your day? Abraham, Abraham at this time has been gone for 2,000 years. Jesus tells them, verse 58, He said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. And in our, that Bible study that we said last time, that phrase, when he says, Before Abraham was, quote, I am. That meant a lot more to those Jewish guys standing there than it would ever mean to us. We, really, a lot of, we, we read that in today's language and we think, that's a present tense verb. I'll bet he's just saying that he's always with us. Well, it's true. That's not what he's saying here. When He said, I am. He's using the exact same language as Exodus when Moses is up on the mountain Let's turn to Exodus chapter three. Exodus chapter three. Let's go read that because they are linked. You, you should almost put in your Bible next to John eight fifty-eight. This this Exodus chapter three because Exodus three Moses is out by himself and he's in the wilderness, and God is getting ready to send him back to Pharaoh. And this is how God approaches Moses. He was in the backside of the desert in verse 1, verse 2, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. Now this is that Old Testament (coughs) phrase, the angel of the Lord. There's 56 times in the Old Testament that phrase is used. The angel of the Lord. And we can get into the habit of thinking, because sometimes it does sound like a winged halo over the head, what we picture as angel appearing to somebody. But look at the language of this. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside, see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, who called? It, 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 it switches, it turns the language here. It first said that the angel of the Lord spoke to him out of the burning bush. And as it starts to describe that event, it says, God talked to him. God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. You keep reading this. and Moses is trying to figure out just what am I supposed to do? You're sending me back to Egypt. How will they even know that I talked to somebody here on this mountain? I don't think this burning bush is going with me. Will they believe me? And when you get to verse 14, Moses, he asked God, How are they going to accept me? And God said unto them, You tell them, I am that I am. That's who is sending you. So this burning bush, verses 2, 3, 4, says it's God speaking. Verse 14, it tells us, He calls Himself I am. This is why when you get to John chapter 8, you don't think of, well, that's 2,000 years, all this time has spent, and it must be a different event. Same person. It's Jesus before he put that flesh and blood on that John chapter 1 verse 14 tells. That he became flesh. So in John chapter 8 when he's talking to those Jewish people and he finally says to them, "You know, they're saying, we have no idea who you are. And he says, I am. Before Abraham ever was, I am. This is what they had in their mind. He's telling us, That our guy Moses on the mountain was talking to Jesus. This is why they picked up stones and they started to go after Jesus in John 8. Because he's calling himself what? He's calling himself God. And see, you have people that say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. If you're a Jewish person and you're reading this, he clearly, clearly is making himself God. Because everybody that reads Exodus 3 knows that was God in the burning bush. Jesus is himself identifying that burning bush as his voice. Him. Again, I'm going to stop every now and then to kind of try to impress upon us, why does it make a difference? (laughs) Why does it matter that this is not just an angel? Why does it matter that this is Jesus before he was born of Mary? It goes to how we think about our Lord Jesus. He was not a professor He didn't just come along and become a good teacher. He was the Son of God. Another thing, as we go through these stories and you think of the God in the Old Testament, we oftentimes think that there's a difference. You know, that God of the Old Testament, he got angry sometimes. He went after people. Fire came down out of heaven, smote some people, but see, we never see that from Jesus. So they must be two different things. The reason we talk about Jesus as the teacher is because he's different. No He's not. The reason it looks different is that when Jesus comes and he's born of Mary and he walks the shores of Galilee and the mountains of Judea, what was his purpose for coming? But how? Would you save people by just sending fire among them or striking people down? You came to pay the penalty for sin. And eventually he's going to crawl he's going to work his way he's going to the cross the the Calvary the cross on Calvary was not a tragedy it was the triumph of all history he had to get there that's the only way biblically speaking he can pay the penalty for sin now if he's going there to get nails put in him to be crucified tortured beyond all belief how's that going to work if he's calling fire down on the people that are trying to put him on the cross. His purpose at that time when he came, when he appeared, after he put on flesh, his purpose, as the Bible says, was to be obedient unto what? Even unto death. And that doesn't mean until he dies. It means that. It also means that the person of death, he allowed death, the person of death, to own him. The God of the universe, holy, perfect, complete, and he let, he allowed death to overtake him. See, the Bible tells us he said himself, No man takes my life. Nobody. It means he could have got off that cross at any time. He could have walked. How many times did he just walk through a crowd that was going to push him off a cliff or they were going to go kill him? He just walked right through the crowd. Why? The Bible tells us because it was not yet his time to die. And it also wasn't the way that he was supposed to die. He had to go, shed that blood on the cross, die like the lamb died. So he, uh, no man takes my life. He says, I lay it down. He went to that cross and he voluntarily laid, laid himself on every part of that. At any moment, after eight hours of hanging on that cross, he could have spoken the word and come off that thing. Nails would have popped out. He'd have been healed in an instant. And he could have walked home. What kept him on that cross? Probably my sin. And a few other people. Because if he doesn't pay the penalty, it's useless. So this is why the people have a problem. The God of the Old Testament and this Jesus who is all love and fuzzy feathers, how, how, how do we reconcile the two? When Jesus came to be born of a woman, he came to pay the penalty for sin. He was going to get on that cross. He he still is a very loving, very merciful person in the Old Testament. But it's destructive and it's deceiving to separate the two and think, well, they're two different gods. Not at all. Not even in the least. Let's go to our next example. Let's go to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua Chapter 5. Now, <clears throat> this is after Moses has led the children of Israel in the, in the wilderness for 40 years. That entire generation dies out. Moses isn't even allowed to go into the Promised Land. Joshua is going to take them in, and they're just crossing the Jordan River. They're coming in from the east of what we now recognize as the country of Jordan. They cross the Jordan River, and when they get there, Jericho is the first city, and in Joshua... Chapter 5, verse 13, It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us, or for our adversary? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, and did worship, and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. We read this in in our Bible and through stories, and it's not very often people think, well, that's Jesus standing there. But you need to notice a couple of different things here. First of all, this person that is described as it first says that there's a man and it's it's very interesting that what's the link between God and man? The thing that the mediator between us between God and man is Jesus Christ because the God became man flesh in John chapter 1. And that's the only person, the only being that contains both. At the end is that contains both God and humanity is that mediator in the middle, Jesus. Now this person says when Joshua starts to talk to him, he says, he's captain of the host of the Lord that sounds like he's kind of in charge. Joshua fell on his faith face and did worship whoever this is. Now there, there's that should jump out at you. you ever now, the angels, a messenger from God, Say Gabriel came to Daniel. The there's angels that come and talk to people. Did those angels ever allow themselves to be worshipped? You won't you won't find that. Now keep a finger here. We'll be right back here. Go to Revelation chapter nineteen because this this is a great example. I think Revelation chapter nine. It just comes out and it tells us Revelation nineteen and verse ten. John. The revelator is having his visions. And in this vision, as he's writing and telling us, this is how he describes meeting this person that gave him this information. John 19.10, I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant. Now it does not tell us the name of this person that John is talking to he has he's he's in the spirit he's gone to heaven and he's getting a vision of what it's going to be like when Jesus comes riding back on that white horse those are the verses that come after this i'm just pointing out that when he gets there the being the person that's talking to him that's giving him this information does not allow him to do what he won't let him worship him see he's he this guy has seen he's in the presence of god he probably knows yeah don't do that there's one being around here that gets worshiped And I ain't it. Do not, I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. It sounds to me like somebody, a person, a human being that has been saved and is now in heaven. I'm of thy brethren. I have the testimony of Jesus. This is why we came to this verse. Not all the time This somebody who a person meets in a vision or meets in a dream they don't let themselves be worshiped those angels don't they know better even remember when satan talked to jesus in the wilderness when he was on his 40 day fast and satan said if you fall down and worship me all these things will be given to you he always wants worship but in heaven everybody knows you do you, you don't worship anybody but god and god takes the form There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's the three different ways He manifests Himself to us. So let's go back to Joshua. So now in in Joshua 5.14, when he tells Joshua, let's see, Joshua fell on his face in verse 14, and did worship, and said, What saith my Lord unto his servant? This guy does not say, Stand up on thy feet, don't worship me. What does he say? The captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. That's right. I should have, that should have pointed that out in our Exodus chapter 3. When Moses was being talked to of the burning bush, you remember what that voice out of the burning bush said? Take your sandals off your shoes, Moses. Where you're standing is holy ground. This has to be Jesus. Pre-incarnate. He hasn't got his human body, but he, as John chapter one tells us, we know that he existed from the very beginning. And it's a little strange for us because we use the words "son" and "father" to mean that one came first and the other was younger in time. When the Bible talks about the Trinity, it's it's not saying that. It's just it's representing to us human beings. Something we can understand. I, I, I don't pretend to know at all of what that means. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Exactly how the Trinity is to be defined. I don't. I'm not sure anybody really... It may not even be meant to be fully understood just yet. But this Jesus was in the Old Testament. And here's an example. What in this example, Joshua chapter 5, what's getting ready to take place? the next chapter, they start walking around this city seven times. And what happens on the seventh day? The walls fall down. And this angel of the Lord, the captain of the host of the Lord's army, he's the one that wins the victory. We always think Joshua went in there and and, and he was in charge of everything. This guy, I think, beat him to it. When we think of Jesus and we think that he's Fuzzy. And it's only about what we define as love. Whatever God's purposes were for this event, Jesus was involved with Jericho being wiped out. I don't know all the reasons. But I do know that that sure seems like what is being taught here. That means I don't have a problem with it. I'm just trying to learn what this guy, what this God of ours, how he presents himself. See, the... You don't want to get off on a tangent here. We have no idea what went on inside of Jericho. Of really what was what every almost every person in there was doing. We know that God sent in a couple of messengers and they brought out Rahab and her family. Or at least they put a something they put a, a thread out of her house, that red cord, and that was the only house that was saved. See, God does make a difference between innocent and guilty, righteous and unrighteous. He always does. He preserves them. Something was going major in that city where that was the only household that was saved. Same thing with Sodom and Gomorrah. The angel goes in there and tells Lot, we've come here to destroy this, but we can't do anything. We can't do anything until we get you out of here. There was a lot of bad going on there, too. We often think, well, golly, I don't know any cities that were quite that bad where God would kill every single person. You don't know any place like Sodom, and you don't know any place that was probably like Jericho. That's all we know. Let's go to Acts chapter 7. Yes, the book of Acts. Acts 7 is the sermon of Stephen. And there are times where you can get great insight in the New Testament about the Old. There are things in the, just in this speech of, of Stephen's. Information that is not in the Old Testament about the Old Testament. Now one of these, um, Acts chapter 7, and let's start looking at verse 30. When forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight, and he drew near to behold it. The voice of the Lord came unto him. So Stephen, talking about this many, many years later, look how he describes it. Verse 32, and this is what the voice said. I am the God of thy fathers. I. It doesn't say, I am the messenger of the God of thy fathers. I am the God of thy fathers. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. Then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. goes on to say, I have seen the affliction of my people which is in Egypt. This is clearly God talking out of the burning bush. I don't want to stop too many times, but why is that important? We need to understand there is no disruption in the character of God from Old Testament to New. He just at times has different purposes. You know, the ne- when after Jesus is crucified and he is taken to heaven, after his resurrection, the next time the Bible paints a picture of him, when he comes back here in Revelation, he seems to have a lot of those characteristics that you read about in the Old Testament. It doesn't mean he's unrighteous, and it doesn't mean he's unmerciful. He is all the, he is very merciful. He is the definition of righteous. But he is, as the Bible says, he in righteousness maketh war. When he comes back, the next time this earth sees him, he'll be on a white war horse. And he will be taking names in our parlance. He, as the Bible describes, he is going to, the Psalms talk about this, the earth is going to be rid of the sinner. The earth has had 2,000 years to digest God's word and the sending of his son and the words that he gave them and their time for repentance. And if that passes and people don't choose it, now the bets are off and the sinner is going to be removed from the earth forcibly. That's what the picture of Revelation is. There's what, I think Revelation 10, it's called the strong angel and this angel has a Title deed of the earth he's holding in his hand. And it's a picture of our Lord Jesus. He, that's what the Bible says. When he paid for everything at the cross, you know what he won, what he bought, what he purchased? He didn't just purchase us, he did. He also purchased the right to what Satan was trying to offer him before he went there. Fall down and worship me. All these kingdoms of, of the earth, I'll give them to you. Jesus won those kingdoms. It's why he is going to be the government on the earth when he comes back. He won the right to that. The purchase deed. Let's go to Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. Joshua, then Judges, then Ruth. Joshua, Judges 13. Oh, we know this story. This is Samson being born, or Samson's parents. Judges chapter 13, verse 1. The children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. The Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord, there's that phrase again, Fifty-six times in the Old Testament. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine. He gives these instructions for this kid. And skip down to verse 18. The angel of the Lord said unto him, Why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is secret? These, the parents of Samson, after talking with this person, they realize this guy, this angel, just appeared out of nowhere. This is obviously something amazing. Who is this person? And they're curious and they ask it. What is your name? And the angel of the Lord replies that at this time, it's secret. When the Bible interprets or it translates... Angel of the Lord. That really is a title. And just like throughout the whole Bible, people's names were changed. You remember Abraham. Abram is who he we started. We're introduced to him. When God gives him this covenant, he changes his name to Abraham. Sarah goes to Sarai. God changes their name. And it means something. Just like Isaac. His name meant laughter. It's because Sarah was laughing in the tent. Moses, his name means drawn out of the water. The names mean something. This At this time here, the angel of the Lord, what I would argue vehemently, the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, he doesn't have that name, Jesus, yet. Do you remember when the angel appears to Mary, he tells her, when she gives birth, what this kid's name will be? It's a God-appointed name. Do you remember what happens even in, at the end of time in Revelation after judgment? After we are given our white robes, do you realize even we are given a new name? You may get your name throughout for all the rest of eternity based on what you're doing right now. Our names will be changed. It describes Jesus in Revelation 19. He has a name written on himself that no man knoweth but he himself. Here, they ask, what's your name? Well, as at this point, he is not Jesus of Nazareth. He is not, as Isaiah says in chapter 7, Emmanuel, the God with us. He's not living here with us. He's just making an appearance. His name is secret. It doesn't say he doesn't have a name. See, when, uh, when an angel appears to Daniel it tells us his name. The angel Gabriel appeared to Daniel. It identifies who it is. Here, this is why I don't think this is Gabriel. It's why I don't think it was Michael. His name is secret. Verse 19, So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering, offered it upon the rock unto the Lord, and the angel did wondrously. And Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came to pass, when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die. Why? Oh, see, it was kind of commonly known. If you see God face to face, you're done. Dust, sinful man. We can't. We can't even be in the presence of God in this state. That's why the blood of Jesus, when it cleanses us, think how much it cleanses us. The New Testament teaches us. What can we do after that? We can boldly go to the throne of grace. But back to this. Manoah knows that if you see God face to face, you're going to die. But see, I'm up here telling you that it is God. It's Jesus. So what's the difference? This goes back to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God told Moses when he was going to show himself. He hid Moses. There's even that part where he hides Elijah in the rock. And he says, I'm going to pass by and you can see my backside. Even those guys who did see God, they did not see God the Father like we will when we get our heavenly bodies and go to heaven. But Jesus is designed for what? He is designed so that mankind, all humans, can look at him and think, that is God. That is our God. He is designed to present to humanity so our eyes can see him. That's why I think this is Jesus. Manoah doesn't know that. Manoah thinks, my God, we just saw the creator of the universe and now we're going to die. Because no man can see God. They did see God. They saw God in the form of Jesus. The one who is meant to, to show to mankind. that make a little sense? Feel like I'm stretching it? Sorry. Chapter 22, Manoah said to his wife, we shall show that because we... He thought he saw God. He thought he saw God. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. There are quite a few other examples here. You know, there, there is the example where um, Abraham is sitting in his tent and he sees these three people coming. And you've know, you got to be careful language you use, these three people, but that's the way it's described in the Bible to start with. And he rushes and he performs this meal because he realizes who he is entertaining. And this is where God talks to him about Sarah and him having a kid. And then the next chapter of that is Sodom and Gomorrah. And these three beings get up to go on. And there's a conversation between Abraham and God. And the other two just seem to disappear. But the next chapter, after Abraham and Moses talk and say, I know you're going to Sodom, but would you spare that city if you found, say, 50 righteous there? And Abraham keeps working him down. Would you spare it with 45, 40, 35? If you got down to 10 people, would you still spare the city? So we know they're talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. You flip the chapter... And you get to where the angels, how many of them? The two angels go to Sodom and Gomorrah. They go to Sodom to talk to Lot. you've got to get out of here. See, those three people that came to Abraham in the heat of the day, it sure seems like that that was the pre-incarnate God, that was Jesus and a couple angels. Luke chapter 24. This is why I think this stuff is kind of important. Luke chapter. I think the words of Jesus here help to see why it, it is worth maybe spending one Bible study out of several years going over something like this. Now in Luke 24, what's happened? Jesus was already crucified. He's been buried and he's now resurrected. And he has appeared to a few of the disciples and now he is on the road to Emmaus and there's a couple of his followers that are there and he's walking along and he's talking to them. And they they don't realize that it is the resurrected Jesus that they're talking to. Something happened where when Jesus, you know, his resurrected body, it's not identical, it would seem. There's people that had trouble recognizing him. A couple of times as soon as he spoke, they fell down and worshipped, oh my God, that's the voice of Jesus. In this instance, they get there and Jesus makes some food for them and they eat. And as soon as they, he starts eating, they seem to know that's Jesus. Just painting the picture of what's taking place. He is appearing now to his disciples, not necessarily one by one, but at different groups of them, to show himself to them. And this is the conversation that he has with them. The, they, these disciples in verse 22 say, "...certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher, his tomb. And when they found not his body, they came, saying, that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said. But him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now, as Jesus introduces himself, what does he mention? He starts talking about the Old Testament here. He says, You guys, why is it such a shock to you? You're slow to believe all that the prophets spoke. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter his glory? Now look at verse 27. And beginning where? That's not with the life of Moses, that's with the law of Moses. And beginning at Moses, when God gave the law to his people. And how many of the prophets? That means even Obadiah, even Nahum. My pages are stuck together. I don't even read those things. Jesus says that even in all of the scriptures, he pointed out, he expounded the things concerning himself. I'll tell you what I picture. He's there, and I didn't mean that. Of course we read Nahum and Obadiah. Everybody thinks that. Nobody reads those things. Jesus started in the Old Testament, and it says that he expounded all of the examples where he himself was seen, and he's showing it to these New Testament followers. Why is that important? Number one, you can preach Jesus from where? From the Old Testament. He is the lamb, the Old Testament lamb they had in excess that they sacrificed in Egypt. He is hes seen in all of those episodes. I have to wonder if he didn't mention some of the things that you and I have just gone over in the last 45 minutes. He expounded to those guys, look, in the Old Testament, this was me. It's really, there's something about this. Look at verse 44. Then he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written... In the Law of Moses and in the Prophets and even the Psalms, those songs, yes, they were concerning him. What's the next phrase in your Bible? Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. When did those New Testament guys finally understand the Bible? Yes, there was definitely a a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, but when he says here, after I showed them in in the Bible, Moses and in all the prophets and the Psalms, the things that concern me, in other words, Psalm 22 when it talks about someone with pierced hands and feet, he says, after showing them all that, then they understood the scriptures. You mean these guys were with Jesus for at least three years in all his Bible studies? and they didn't quite understand his or the Bible yet? According to this, they didn't. It was when they understood what? When they knew that Jesus was in all of those stories. Now, all of a sudden, I understand what God does when he writes his Bible. He was painting pictures of his son dying for the sin of humanity. Why was Jonah in the belly of the whale for three days? That story, which is true, It is meant to have a seed of Jesus in it. Even Jesus said, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, so shall I be in the heart of the earth. That's three days. That's why he was there three days. Every story in the Old Testament was meant to foreshadow, to paint a picture, to get people ready for one human being. When God would unzip his glory, come down the birth canal of Mary, put on flesh and bones, live out the law perfectly, and then be sacrificed as a sac- as a substitute for us. He was perfectly innocent. He paid the penalty for sin. And you know how you understand all that stuff? You have to know the Old Testament. According to what Jesus said right there, after he talked to them about the Moses and the law and the prophets and in the Psalms, then those guys understood their Bibles. That blows me away. Look at the next verse, verse 46. He said unto them, Thus, or because of that, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ, or this is why I, Christ, had to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Why did it behoove him? Why did he have to suffer? Why did he die and why was he raised specifically on the third day because the Old Testament projected it that way this is why we started the way we did at the beginning of this God and his word in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God you can't separate God, what he says from his character, from his nature he won't allow it his design his desire is to be tied to what he has said And yet we have people, nowadays, they think, well, I know how to find God. I'll just read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can't know who Jesus really is, I don't think. Only by reading. Obviously, it's great to read those, to consume every word of the Gospels. But there's some things you're going to miss. You're going to end up thinking things like it's a different God than the God in Genesis, or Exodus, or Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and they're not. They're identical. That Jesus was in all of those stories. He was the voice in the burning bush. He did talk to Abraham. I think he was there to talk to Samson's parents. He met Joshua there outside of Jericho. The entire Bible. What does Jesus say about the Scripture? He once to talked to the Jews. And he said, You guys study the scriptures because in them you think you have life. And he said, It's true, but they are them which speak of me. He said, Those scriptures that you guys have memorized, and you but you still don't understand it, those scriptures are the ones that speak of me. It's everywhere. It's not just in our New Testament. You get a revelation in New Testament and even at the very end that's why it's called the revelation of Jesus. As you go along you get more and more of him. More and more is understood. More and more is explained. That's why the very last book is called the revealing, the revelation. It is revealing hopefully the very last and you get to see him as he is and the whole world is going to see him then. And It's probably why a lot of people don't like to read revelation. It doesn't match up with a preconceived notion of who this fuzzy feathery, soft Jesus is. It doesn't change. from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, it's the exact same person. In those four Gospels, he came for a very specific purpose. He had to pay the penalty for sin. It wasn't to show us how to let ourselves be beat on. I and mean, There's a lot of people that think that. That what happened in the Gospels, he never, quote, fought back. He always turned the other cheek. Well, he did most of the time, but he did take a whip one time and go after some people. But the reason it appears that way is because during that time he had to get to the cross. He had to be tortured. But the character, the nature of God never changes. His mercy, his righteousness, his judgment, his holiness, all of those things have always been there. They always will be there. The disciples finally saw Jesus for who he was when they were taught by Jesus that he was in all those stories in the Old Testament. Father, we pray, Lord, that the things that we learn from your word, that they would be seed in our lives, that they would grow to fruition. Father, I thank you for everyone, the people that come out in pastor's churches, I ask that you would guard and protect them, bless them with all the blessings of heaven. We pray, Lord, that you would be with them every day of their life, And Lord, we pray for Pastor, we pray that the rest of his travel to Kenya would be with God's speed, that he would have perfect traveling mercies, that he would be able to rest well, that it would be in a timely fashion, that you would get him there and bring him home safely. In Jesus' name, amen.